You're listening to Next Gen Dem, a podcast where you will hear from the young progressives who are shaping the future of the Democratic Party. I'm Max Warren, and you can join me every other week to meet the next generation of liberal leaders, hear about the causes that matter to them, and learn how you can get involved too. Hello, everyone. Hope you're enjoying uh, your summer. Um, this is episode 10 of Next Gen Dem, and my guest is P.G. Sittenfeld. He's a member of the Cincinnati City Council, uh, actually the youngest person ever elected to that body, and a real rising Democratic star, having recently run for U.S. Senate. P.G. generously agreed to join me by phone over the July 4th holiday weekend, and he and I covered a whole bunch of topics, including when he came to the realization that politics was the best way for him to make a difference, whether his young age has ever been a hindrance for him politically, and what kind of message Democrats need to win back Ohio. All great topics, and I hope you'll enjoy this episode. P.G., thank you uh, so much for joining me on Next Gen Dem all the way from Cincinnati. Yeah, Max, delighted to delighted to join you, and thanks so much for having me on the pod. Uh, PG and I, uh, we were connected a while back, and then uh, recently met uh, at an event uh, called the Arena uh, in uh, in Detroit, where he was he was uh, he was in he was in town uh, talking on a, on a panel, uh, and and he's great, and I and I'm so excited to have him on my podcast. It was it was good seeing you in Detroit, Max, and I was. It's always good to confirm that someone actually exists in person, and <laughs> you know. A Twitter avatar or something. Right. So, no, there, glad there's, to get to do it. There, there's a lot of those these days. Um, you know, I'm sure as a as a councilman, you get a lot of a lot of incoming as a as a as a budding podcast. Um, you know, dynamo, and I'm totally kidding on that. But I did. I get some incoming too, and I'm like, is this a real thing? I don't know. Yeah, um, well, especially when it's um, uh, you know less favorable feedback, I sort of like to go and check out. You know, are you a real human being? Do you live in the city that I represent? Or are you, you know, a robot or a hateful person that lives across the country? So uh, a yeah. Russian, a Russian Twitter bot. Yeah, uh, exactly. Exactly. Um, so so let's dive right in. I mean, you're you're uh, you know, you are the youngest person ever elected to the city council in Cincinnati. And I'm I'm sure you get introduced that way all the time. So I'm sorry if <laughs> I'm sorry if that uh, if that's grown grown old. But uh, but it's quite the accomplishment. Um, you know, for those who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about the Cincinnati City Council, your role and, and some of the issues you're focused on? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess, first of all, just the makeup of the council, there are nine of us. And unlike a lot of cities where, you know, it's divided into wards or district and your councilmen or your aldermen will represent sort of one sliver of the city, um, every single member of the nine members of council each represent the entirety of the city of Cincinnati. And look, the city of Cincinnati is obviously not, um, you know, New York City or we're not Chicago, but we're also we're not Mayberry, right? Like we're a solid sized city. And you I have think professional that I, sports teams. Yes, we have, we have multiple professional sports teams. They, they do better some years uh, than they do others. But the only reason I mention representing the entire city is it does kind of play into um, the, my being the youngest person. For whatever reason, you know, politically in Cincinnati, City Hall, this is just sort of, I guess, historical precedent, has probably almost always gotten much, much more um, media attention and just oxygen than our state legislature, than our state rep members in our neck of the woods, than our county commissioners. Honestly, even than our than our congressional delegation, it just like there are interesting plot lines and characters historically. So they're usually pretty competitive races where you might have like 40 people 
on the ballot all at one time for these nine seats. And because they're citywide, you have to do you know, a decent, I mean, you have to run a serious campaign, sometimes pretty expensive campaign. So I was a, I think I was 25 years old when I first announced my candidacy, which sounds almost like preposterously young to me now. I think if a 25 year old came to me and said, you know, I'm, I'm going for this, I would cheer him on, of course. But a little bit of me might think, well, that's pretty young too. Um, so it, it obviously cuts both ways. I know we'll talk about that. But, you know, our current uh, member of Congress, ran for council and lost at the beginning of his career, ran a second time and lost, got on his third try. This former mayor of Cincinnati, an iconic figure in Cincinnati politics, she ran once for council and lost, ran another time and lost, got on her third try. So naturally, the reason I mention this, you know, when I first went and even told people who believed in me and have supported me, you know, I think I'm, I'm thinking about doing this. They were like, oh, that's cute. You'll get your name out there, but it's going to take you, you know, two or three tries to get on there. And we sort of were like, no, we've got a good message. We're going to put together a really energetic campaign. So we're able to able to get it done on the first crack. So that's the makeup of council. And then in terms of you know what we do and the things that I've been focused on, I guess just for a word to your listeners who maybe not, don't sort of say, what does a councilman do or what does a mayor of a city do? You know, it's so much of the stuff that touches people's daily lives. So there's a bad guy in your neighborhood, you're calling the police. You know, your neighbor's house is on fire, you're calling your local firefighter. You get up in the morning to brush your teeth, uh, the water that comes out of the sink, that's the city, right? Uh, the road you drive down to get from home to work or to drop your kids off at school, the city's taking care of those roads. I mean, it really is so much of the stuff that really people often don't think about, but especially touches the, their everyday life. And then just the final answer the first part of your question in terms of the things I'm focused on, you know, I definitely, I chair the committee that oversees issues of education, entrepreneurship, environmental sustainability, and then you'll get a kick out of this one, uh, matters relating to senior citizens. So it's a little bit strange since I'm the, the youngest person uh, on the city council, but so, you know, I do all sorts of things um, in, in those different buckets. But one of the things I really do like about this job and reason I find it purposeful and stimulating is, you know, in the same week, we might be finalizing an economic development deal to bring hundreds or in some cases thousands of jobs to Cincinnati. And then right after that, we'll be having a debate about, you know, how can we make sure all of our police uh, officers are wearing, are wearing body worn uh, cameras, uh, you know, issues of keeping health centers open and parks and rec. I mean, you really do get to be a jack of all trades in stuff that deeply impacts everyone's day-to-day life. So as a, a sort of primer about the job, I guess. Yeah, no, it's funny because we, you know, we have a tendency uh, in this country, and maybe right now more so than ever given uh, who's president, but we have a tendency to focus on D.C. is everything, right? Politics equals D.C. And and that's not the case. The vast majority of elected officials are, are in state and local uh, offices. And these are the things that you can really, uh, you as a citizen, you see, touch, and feel every day, as you said, uh, roads and, and your your, your your water um, quality and and your fire department and so we tend to lose sight of the fact that most of the decisions happening in Washington are about budgets and foreign policy whereas yeah. the things that we complain about as you know Cincinnati what is it Cincinnati is a Cincinnatiite or what are you guys Cincinnati yeah, and we're a, yeah Cincinnati in Cincinnati Cin- yeah so if you're a Cincinnati in and you have a problem with you know the water coming out of your faucet like that's not an issue for uh, your center that's an issue for you uh, and, yeah totally. and and, it, and it's super important. And I, you know, I, I did talk about some of the more sort of bread and butter things, but you know, I think this is true probably at every level of government. But there really is the sort of the power to be a convener. So you know, I think of my job honestly as problem solver, and obviously 
I'm mostly trying to solve the problems that are in the city that I represent. But one other sort of example, since you brought up Washington, obviously sexual assaults on college campuses continue to be a huge problem across the country. You know, I give the previous administration a lot of credit. So, you know, we convened the city's first ever um, task force around, uh, you know, reducing and preventing uh, gender-based violence on college campuses and beyond college campuses in the city of Cincinnati. So things like pulling together some of our well-known uh, bar establishments to do trainings for their staff on bystander intervention. So we you know, did really good stuff on that and then actually got an invitation to go and present some of the work we've done at the White House. And I should say when, when, when I sometimes tell people, yeah, we went to the White House to talk about preventing sexual assault, people are like, really? And I'm like, the previous White House, the Obama administration, <laughs> not the current administration, um, just, or just, just to be clear on that. So, I mean, you really get to, I think, pick really stimulating issues. And I'm a big believer. I had an uh, interview with the Washington Post last week about the future of the Democratic Party. And I said, you know, if you want to know, not exclusively, but I do believe, uh, you know, you can find a huge amount of the talent, uh, especially in the progressive side. They're in America's cities right now. You know, you can't pass the buck to someone else, but the scale of it and usually the sort of political makeup, you can actually get things done. You can get policies across the finish line. So, you know, I'm very bullish about um, cities as laboratories for good ideas and also cities as training grounds or final destinations for people that want to roll up their sleeves and sort of advance progressive policy. Totally. And we're seeing that, you know, city city councils and and mayors can 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 stand up to uh, an administration in a variety of ways, including on the sanctuary city issue um, that you may not have felt, a, 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 you know, as somebody you might not realize a mayor has that power. But but just because you're not president doesn't mean that you can't actually have a voice nationally uh, and an to- impact. It's 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 such a good point. So, right. Like, you know, I, I did not I would not have campaigned necessarily on issues of immigration the first or the second time. I ran for my seat at City Hall in Cincinnati, but I am so proud, and really, I do find it incredibly gratifying that a person who I disagree deeply with on many issues, but including the, an issue like uh, immigration, can be advancing what I th- believe is sort of draconian policy from the White House. And as a council member in a city like Cincinnati, I can make the policy decision, and it can't be taken away from us, not by Donald Trump, but not by Jeff Sessions or anyone else, that the city of Cincinnati police force is going to allocate its resources and allocate its time and allocate our you know, fantastic police officers to things like cracking down on gun violence and trying to break up gangs, not acting as an extension of ICE and going around sort of preemptively asking people for their papers or trying to gauge their country of origin. So a super concrete policy uh, outcome that I believe is an awesome rebuttal against bad policy coming from Washington. Now, obviously, it's happening within a finite geographic jurisdiction. I can only do that for my own city. But boy, for the people who live here, it, it can be a matter of life and death. So you're clearly very passionate about a, about a number of issues. And, and, and whether you uh, started that way or not, or are being put in a position where you have to probably learn about a lot of new ones, including, you know, senior citizen issues. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but when did you decide, you know, that, you know, you said you first ran at 25. I mean, when did you decide that running for office was the path for you to make a difference on these issues that you care about? Yeah, it's a great question, and especially to your listenership that's thinking to themselves, you know, I think I might like to run for office, but how do I know for sure? Look, I think some piece of it is probably like what's in the bloodstream, right? Because there's so many ways of making a really positive impact. You can host a podcast, you can work in government, you can work for a nonprofit, the private sector, you know, you can make a huge impact without actually running for office. So I think there needs to be something sort of, you know, in your brain wiring that says, 
I feel, you know, like kooky enough to take this leap onto the elected side. So I think that's the first thing. But honestly, after and have that, your life opened up in front of everybody. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it is a bizarre lifestyle. You know, my my wife uh, is a physician, and you know, she has very intense days in the ICU, in the ER. Like her life is unusual by most people's standards, but like she thinks my life is insane, right? It's just not how a normal person lives. You know, reading about things, you know, things you do might be in the newspaper, people are talking about them on, on the radio, or you know, total strangers are sending some vitriol your way on Twitter, kind of as we started out this conversation. So, but the second piece, and this is always my number one piece of advice to people who are thinking about running for office, and this is a little bit trite, but so many people overlook it, it shouldn't be, being a councilman sounds cool, or being a US senator sounds cool, it's what impact do you actually wanna make, right? What do you want the result of your time in public service to have been. So to take that back to um, you know for my first running for my seat at City Hall, I think part of it was I was passionate about politics. I thought I could be useful in public service. Um, it was something that got me excited just sort of thinking about it. But then very specifically, I'd worked really closely for a couple of years with the school system in the city of Cincinnati. Felt like City Hall, which is separate from the, the school system here, was a little bit out of touch, just didn't have the relationships, didn't have the policy understanding. And I really believe that I could be a great bridge between City Hall and our public school system. So I kind of ran on that. That was an issue that I really wanted to champion. I do remember, not that everyone has to have like a come to Jesus moment about when they decided to run for public service, but I remember the first time I ever went to testify, not you know, long before I was on council, in support of a school-based nurse program, you know, the logic being have a student who's not well, go down the hall, get it taken care of, get back in the classroom learning, rather than have a parent take off work, take a, uh, the sibling who's not sick out of school, family ends up in the emergency room. So I believed in the policy of school-based nurses, go down to testify, you know, 24, 25-year-old kid at the time, testifying before all the members of council. I would say at the time, half of them, and this will date me a little bit, but half of them were on their BlackBerry, like not paying attention as I'm giving my testimony. And I thought to myself, I'm going to replace one of you in the next election. And sure enough, I did. So <laughs> I, I think the big, the big thing people should say are one is the way in which I want to make a difference, um, you know, to serve the elected path, the best way to, to approach and pursue that. And then the second piece is what difference do you want to make? I mean, really having clarity around the issues and the impact that you want to have. So I did that and it, it led me in earlier than I otherwise sort of might have guessed. Yeah. And, um, when you, you you said you were going to replace one of them, uh, you know, in the next election, not only did you do that, but then the following election, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were the leading vote getter of all uh, the members elected to the to the council. So you replaced them, and then you became more popular than all of them combined. <laughs> yeah, we uh, the next. I mean, again, it depends on the scale of the race, right? So this is in the context of the city, but we got the the highest percentage of the vote and won by the biggest margin uh, in the history of the city, which we you know was validating because, look, I'm a competitive human being obviously sort of the campaigns get the competitive juices flowing but i think there are a lot of people that excel at campaigns but then really to get in there roll my sleeves up be a problem solver at city hall and then after that not just in response to a campaign but in response to actual government service and problem solving 
have the voters sort of validate that with a big win. Yeah, it, it, it meant a lot. It was very gratifying. How did age play a role in your in your first campaign? I mean, I could see it, you know, on the one hand, it could be a benefit and, you know, here's new blood, here's a, here's a new perspective, here's somebody who understands some of the issues that young people are facing. On the other hand, I could see it being a tremendous hindrance, which is, you know, frankly, who's this snot-nosed kid and what does he think yeah, he knows about yeah. government? What kind of role did that play for you when, when running? How did you deal with that? Yeah, I think so... I have this sort of theory about sort of like political machinery that people sometimes complain about political machinery when really they don't like the people that are like, you know, the personnel inside the machinery. So that, and I kind of feel the same way about the age piece. And I say this as someone who really, really wants more young people because I do think they bring new and fresh perspectives about how the world is changing. Uh, they bring that to bear on on public service and on government. I guess what I would say though is that like, you can be a arrogant, snot-nosed, too big for your britches, 25-year-old, but you can also be that as a 55-year-old, right? Or you can be a very serious, mature, thoughtful, policy-minded 25-year-old, just as you can be that when you're a 65-year-old. So this might sound counterintuitive, but you know, I started that first campaign when I was 25. I was very young as a U.S. Senate candidate, which, spoiler alert to your uh, listeners, I am not currently a United States senator, so I was proud of that race. Uh, you know, I did not end up winning, but I, I think, you know, it, it can really mitigate whatever liability or vulnerabilities there with your age. If you going, going back to what I was saying a few minutes ago, if you know why you're doing it and if you're backing it up with, here's an actual policy, here's an idea, here are serious relationships I've formed that do it. So I mean, maybe it's because I, you know, have more gray hair than like a now 32 year old should and probably had a few more than a then 25 year old should or look a little older than I am. I'm not sure what it was, but it never really felt, I felt much more that I benefited from the positive of people saying, here's a fresh, energetic young person sort of, you know, diving into public service than I did from the reverse. So I, I didn't, I, I would encourage folks to one, don't preemptively assume it's going to be a barrier. And if it is a barrier, you might be doing something else wrong or something else might be the problem. What about in office, though? I mean, so, so, you, so you won and, 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 and you're, you're there. Do you feel like your colleagues took you any more or less seriously because at the time you were, what was it, 26 when you, when you first yeah, won? Yeah, no, no not, not one bit, to be honest, because I think I was serious. You know, my dad, this is not a unique expression to him, but he would remind me often growing up you know, take your work seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. So I still try not to take myself too seriously. But on the work front, you know, I was very serious, very hardworking about the job I was doing. So, you know, uh, a council, an entire council full of people in their mid to late 20s uh, would not represent the city well. But I also think that, you know, since the oldest person on council right now is currently uh, in his 70s, and then, you know, I'm now in my early 30s, I started out in my mid to late 20s, you know, I, I think that, that people actually appreciate sort of that form of diversity too, right? I, I don't want a panel full of just, you know, old white guys deciding healthcare issues, right? I want I want any composition of government to look like what the country looks like. And I think increasingly we do a better job of that, meaning, you know, we need to make sure that means bringing more women uh, into public service, more minorities into public service. But I also think there is a place for age diversity. But you know, I mean, I think by being a hard worker, and a serious thinker, it, it never felt like uh, like a liability. Actually, obviously, as a council member, you're you're running around the city and you're you're dealing with a number of different issues. And in your case, you represent the entire city, so it's not even just one particular district. Right. How how 
does one sort of get your attention on an issue? So obviously, you know, right now, uh, you know, nationally, you know, liberals are very fired up about a number of different things and letter writing campaigns and protests and, 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 and podcasts or, you know, you name it to sort of resist and get involved. But you as an elected official have a perspective of what really resonates with you. Is there something in particular that works and are there tactics that just don't? You mean for, for getting my attention? Yeah, for or? getting your attention. Like as an elected official, how you know how do how do how does somebody get you to, to move on an issue or start caring about an issue or to change your opinion on an on an issue? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it's another one of the great things about um, politics at the city level is you know if you want to schedule, I mean, at minimum, depending on how busy, if we're in the middle of passing the you know one point three billion dollar city budget, that might not be the best week to get a meeting with me. But in normal times, you know, call my office and. You'll probably sooner rather than later have a meeting with me as your councilman or at minimum, you know, my chief of staff or, you know, one of my one of my aides will be meeting with you. You know, send me a tweet, message me on Facebook. Uh, You know, my wife does not love this. But, you know, when we're out having dinner, come and tap me on the shoulder and bend my ear a little bit. I mean, I think the level of I think it's it's you know, I think so many of us feel and some of this is by necessity. Some of it, I think, is something that's a bit more corrosive in the culture that our representatives in Washington are increasingly out of touch, but also just in a very, you know, uh, like raw way, they're kind of inaccessible to your, your, you know, the folks at city hall should really be quite accessible. So I think there's like, there's a cultural piece to it too. And then the other piece is, you know, I mean, bring a passion and a creativity to what you're trying to get me excited about. So as one example, we have the third highest rated children's hospital in the country, Cincinnati Children's Hospital, great institution. They do life-saving work. I had a pair of pediatricians um, ask if they could come present before the committee that I chair, which again, oversees educational issues, to present all this data and research about the benefit of a later starting time for high schoolers who, you know, their brains are still evolving and there are all sorts of benefits. I did not have expertise in this area, but, you know, they came, they brought just a really thoughtful, compelling case. And my immediate thing was, this makes sense. How can I help you? How can I sort of run with this issue? So I only mentioned that because it, it just happened. But I think it should be at the city level pretty easy to get your, your leader's attention. So you t- well, that's that's good to know, um, and I think you know obviously you know it does depend on I would say a little bit on the size of the city and the size of the of course, population yeah, look, representing. If but if you're if you're you know if you want to get Mayor De Blasio or Mayor Garcetti's attention in a city of you know millions and millions of people, obviously you know they're a little bit more sort of probably of a process to work through. But then look, the other thing I would say, and this is true whether you live in a town of five thousand or a city of ten million people, is make yourself impossible to be ignored, right? And usually through old-fashioned organizing. I don't care what size city you are. If you can get a couple hundred people to go stand on the front steps of City Hall with signs and a bullhorn, you're going to get people's attention. They're going to pay attention to you. So, And look, no matter who you are, it's not a cinch to organize a couple hundred people, but almost anybody can do that if they really put the effort and have a plan. So I think I think people, you know, there's a real pathway to making yourself unignorable. And also, if you care about something, odds are somebody does. Somebody else does too. You just exactly. have to figure out how to get them engaged. So you you mentioned earlier, um, you know, you did, you know, uh, last year you you made a name for yourself, you know, in the state of Ohio, uh, but even nationally, you you threw your name in the in the in the ring to uh, to uh, potentially be the next U.S. senator. Yeah, I sort um, of joke that I. I I wish my name ID in Ohio had matched what my name ID probably was in Washington, D.C., where everyone's following these races so closely and sort of is, you know, more of an insider. But, you know, in a, in a, I, I, 
it was a, certainly I, I was in the race for all the right reasons, and I was really proud of the race I ran and felt like I uh, advocated passionately on a lot of issues um, that you know obviously they're not exclusively national issues, but maybe you can move the levers a little bit more climate change and gun violence and things like that. But there was also you know the ultimate lesson of humility was I kind of had through my my city races felt like you know through sheer force of will, through working as hard as you possibly can and, you know, carrying a good message, you can reach the outcome that you want. And, you know, when you are running in a state of 11 and a half million people and when you're running against a very well-known and well-liked former governor, you know, there are certain boulders that you just, you can't sort of move by yourself. So I learned a lot from that race, even if it was ultimately did not get the outcome that I was hoping for. Well, and you ran, as you said, against against Governor Strickland in the Democratic primary. Ultimately, you know, Ted Strickland lost to Rob Portman, who uh, got reelected. He's the Republican senator, and, and obviously he's still there for another six-year term. Uh, you know, I think your race is probably an example of you know what a lot of people are itching for now in the Democratic Party is 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 having sort of new ideas, young voices, and not sort of trotting back out. Uh, you know, frankly, the same old people. Um, you know, how do we get fresh thinking? Uh, if if we keep electing, if we keep nominating, uh, you know, folks like you know, listen, I don't know Governor Strickland at all. I'm not from Ohio, but if we keep nominating folks who have sort of been there, done that uh, before, yeah, I think two things. One, you know, I ran my heart out in the primary, and the second, I got lost, and I will say it was not a close result in the primary, even though you know I got the the endorsement of the biggest newspaper in the state. Uh, you know, we had a bunch of great elected officials. We were probably, I mean, even this is true of, of Portman too. Nobody was more policy oriented in the sort of things that they were trying to advance. The second the primary was over, I called Governor Strickland and said, you know, let me know what I can do to help. And, you know, through events for him, did press with him. So, you know, to your question, I I think we just we need to be when, when new people, whether it's their young people or folks that are coming from communities that haven't typically run for office, (coughs) excuse me, raise their hand and say, hey, I think I'd like to dive into the arena in whatever form. We should not try and stunt and stymie them, right? Worst case scenario, let them get out there and prove themselves and then be part of the solution and be part of the energy going forward rather than, I think, you know, a constant attitude of wait your turn, wait your turn. How are we supposed to have a future and how are we supposed to build a bench as a party if that's sort of you know too much of the attitude that we embrace? So I think some of it is just... It's a bit of an attitude shift. And look, if we were, if you and I, you know, given your you know, background with Senator Schumer, my sort of position in politics, you and I followed this closely. If the Democratic Party was just winning race after race after race, I think you and I might say, well, clearly the recipe and the formula is working. Keep doing what you're doing. But unfortunately, and some of this is through, you know, sort of systemic gerrymandering and voter uh, voter suppression and things like that. But no matter the, the you know, determining factors, we are now at a, you know, what, 70, 80 year nadir of, of democratic power. If you look at uh, state legislatures, governors, the makeup of the Congress, we obviously don't hold the White House. So I think when you are not winning, you have to be more open minded to other things that might let you get back in that winner's circle. 
I'm uh, here, here. I'm, <laughs> I'm all for it. Uh, and hopefully maybe we'll help build the bench uh, through this podcast a little bit. Um, let's, let's, let's do it. Great um, to do it. So last question. And then, and then, uh, you know, I, I do like to end with some rapid fire questions, but last sort of, you know, larger question, um, you know, obviously from the Senate race, you, 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 even though you did not become the democratic nominee, you, you traveled the state and you, you got the pulse of folks in Ohio. Um, you know, Trump ended up, uh, you know, carrying the state and it's always a state that goes back and forth where blue and, and ends up being a bit of a bellwether um, in elections. You know, do, do you have a sense of, of, of what people who maybe people who voted for Trump there, are they are they feeling some buyer's remorse? And, and, and what is your sense of how Democrats, what Democrats need to say, but more importantly, do uh, to win back the blue collar areas of Ohio where um, there was so much attrition? Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, Barack Obama carried Ohio twice. Uh, Donald Trump won pretty handily uh, in 2016. I think there's some level of buyer's remorse about Trump simply because he's been so undignified. Uh, you, know, you just look at how he handles himself. You know, I don't care whether you're a Democrat or Republican. I think a lot of people believe this is not how you know, the leader of the free world should behave. And then, you know, the policies he's been pushing, trying to kick millions of people and take away their health care coverage, um, the people he's surrounded himself with that, you know, it's the, the cabinet is sort of a billionaire's row rather than representing the, the you know, the, the every man. Um, I, I think, though, the way I look back at the last election is Donald Trump was not the answer that people were looking for. But I more look about sort of what were they trying to express? And there's no question that they were expressing a deep frustration with a system that feels unfair and rigged and like, you know, people who are sort of already insiders or in power they continue to do well no matter what. And a lot of people are left sort of treading water or slipping even further behind. So I think the biggest message that, you know, the Democratic Party, but everybody needs to be mindful of is, you know, really hearing the cry for help or the, um, you know, the, the sentiment of unfairness that so many people do feel. Now, I reject the notion that Donald Trump uh, is the remedy. And I think a lot of people are probably skeptical about that, but went with him anyway. So, um, you know, he's, I, I don't know exactly. So I, you know, I haven't looked at the most recent sort of polling about where Trump is in Ohio. But I think if somebody else came along and connect really did two things, you know, demonstrated one that they understand what people's fears and concerns and frustrations are, and then presented a serious path forward. I mean, I am a believer that elections are always about the future, right? That, you know, if you can paint that vision of the future, and how you get from A to B, um, you will win people's votes, including uh, across party lines. So, um, you know, I think I think there's room for the right person to win back Ohio, but it's going to need to be the right person with the right message. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's it, it's a lot about message and it's also about it's also about action. I mean, people's people felt like their lives haven't gotten any better. And, you know, right. whether that was Obama's fault or whether that's the Republican governor you guys have fault or whether that's nobody's fault. And it's just the reality. Yeah. Um, and and, and look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a progressive guy. I represent an urban area. So, you know, whether it's uh, women's health care or Black Lives Matter or transgender issues, like I am right there in the progressive position on all of those. That being said, I do think that our party needs to make sure that the first message and the overarching message that we're doing, rather than like, you know, segmenting 12 different messages for 12 different um, you know, groups of the population. I do think that economic message about economic fairness and economic opportunity, that has to be what we lead with and what comes first, because the reality is that economic message can appeal equally to, you know, a conservative 
rural working class white guy as it can to an African-American single mother that lives in the inner city in Cincinnati. So if we have a message that can appeal that broadly to this sort of that big a tent, why would we not lead with that and then, you know, follow on with all the other stuff rather than necessarily leading with the other stuff and letting the economic message get subverted? Yeah, I totally. Um, so I like to end, as I said, with some quick, um, quick rapid fire um, questions. Um, you know, just just quick answers, whatever pops into your head. I have I have five for you. So if you're ready, right, I'm gonna fire, I'm gonna... fire, fire away. Okay. Yeah. So if you had 30 seconds of FaceTime uh, with our president Donald Trump, um, what would you tell him? Oh God! I mean, I like to think I would control myself and uh, be polite, and I believe that I would. I think I would tell him. Act like you're the president of the United States of America and the whole country, right? So bring the dignity to this office that it deserves. And also remember, you're not governing right now to win a Republican primary. You are the president of the entire United States. Try and bring people together. Try and actually get you know meaningful policy advance that doesn't just favor elites or your base. Um, that's what I would tell him. Whether, whether, whether it would fall on deaf ears or not, I think I'm, I'm not overly confident. Who are some rising Democratic stars you really admire? It doesn't have to be national. It can be you know local to Ohio. But are there a few people that you really admire and think have a, have a great future besides you, of course? Yeah, well, you're, you're very kind. I, so I think I, I might actually do some names a little bit off the beaten. I mean, there are names that you know nine out of 10 people would sort of probably use to answer that question. But uh, just so for the, your listeners, if nothing else, they can go and Google or follow these people on Twitter. Uh, Tobias Reed is the uh, new treasurer of, uh, of Washington State. Uh, a guy named Murrow Weinberger is the mayor of Burlington, Vermont. Uh, this person is in the United States Senate. Brian Schatz is a young United States senator representing Hawaii. And then, uh, you know, I know and love and appreciate the mentorship and friendship of uh, my U.S. senior U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown great guy in his own right, but his daughter is a counterpart of mine. She's on the Columbus City Council, has her own brand, advocates you know, on her own set of issues, and is a total dynamo too. So those are maybe four names that you wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily normally hear that I encourage people to learn more about them. I had no idea Sherrod Brown's daughter was in the Columbus City Council. That's awesome. And she's great. Yeah, Liz Brown. Yep. Um, what is the best piece of political advice you've ever received? Um, I think... The I've, I've received variations of this, and I, I didn't have to hear it to practice it, but it's something I would uh, pass along to other people. It's basically ask yourself first, what's the right thing to do, and then make the politics work, rather than doing the opposite of saying, what's the politically best thing to do, and how can I sort of morph my position into the politics? So I think people, you know, at, at its worst, get that order inverted, but know what the right thing to do is, and then figure out how to make the politics work rather than making the politics work first and then, uh, and then arriving in your position. What is, is there one issue area you wish Democrats would focus on more? And this could be you know, state, local, it can be national, but just is there one issue that you feel, I mean, you talked about the economy, but is there something in particular? Yeah, I mean, there, well, there, there are a lot. I think we, it has to be an economic message, both to you know, get the country going for everybody um, again, but I also think it's, it's, it's winning politics too. you know, other things. And I, I know you asked me for one thing. I think we need to continue to have courage and bravery on the issue of gun violence. You know, other countries don't live like this. The United States doesn't have to either and responsible law abiding people. No one is taking, uh, their guns away, right? Like I, I support, uh, the second amendment, but that doesn't necessarily to me mean that someone on our terrorist watch list gets to walk into a store in Ohio 
and legally buy, you know, a military style assault rifle. So and then the other one is climate change, which it just continues to totally blow my mind that that issue is partisan in the year 2017. Right. This is, you know, our 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 children and their children, they don't have party IDs yet. But what they you know do want to have is a sustainable planet. So th- those are some things that certainly have, have captured my attention. Yeah, they want to live on land. They don't want to live on the sea. Ex- ex- exactly. <laughs> good, good point. Um, OK, last one, uh, you know, little known fact about uh, or, or little known fact to me until doing research. But <laughs> but PG has his own podcast. Um, so so he, too, is a is, is a podcaster. Uh, and, and my understanding, PG, is that you mostly interview, you know, f- folks in Cincinnati who are, uh, you know, uh, major major players in the community or in the business world and, and to bring attention to sort of new initiatives in uh, in the city. But if if I gave you the opportunity to have one podcast, like you could have anybody in the world, and again, it could be someone local to Cincinnati, who would be your dream guest? Ooh, that is a good one and a tough one. Clearly, I want to get you on the podcast, Max, <laughs> if we can have some reciprocity here. Um, I guess I would want to have it be someone who hasn't already been overexposed. So obviously, like, It'd be great to have Barack Obama or Bruce Springsteen on the pod, but uh, and not that this person is not already overexposed, but they so have changed the world, and they're sort of right there in our age range and our age bandwidth. Um, but I think having like Mark Zuckerberg, if you could really get him to sort of open up uh, about you know who he is and what's motivating him, and I'm I think. Uh, he comes to mind, you know, I wouldn't mind Obama or, or Springsteen on the podcast. Um, who else? I, I think we want it to be someone who is changing the world, but maybe in sort of like unexpected ways. So maybe not necessarily like a politician or, or someone like that. So we'll, we'll go with Zuckerberg for now. And maybe you can ask Zuckerberg if he plans to, uh, to run for president. And, I was uh, going to say, yeah, he, <laughs> he, he, he might be the, uh, the, the, the Trump slayer in 2020. Yeah. And then we'll get him on next gen Dem because he's definitely, exactly. he he definitely qualified. <laughs> uh, so PG, that's it for me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Max. Thanks. Well, that's it for episode 10. Thanks again for listening each week and for all of your feedback. I really appreciate it. As I mentioned last week, I have a number of great guests coming up that I think you'll be excited about. So stay tuned for more good stuff coming your way. For updates on when podcasts go live, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You'll get them in real time if you do that. You can also sign up for my email list, which you'll find on my website, www.nextgendem.com. Thanks so much again, and I'll uh, see you soon.